the Classic Comics Forum podcast presents issue number 27, Avengers numbers 211 to 230, The Fall of Yellowjacket, part 1. Welcome to the Classic Comics Forum podcast. As always, I'm your host, Scott Harris-King, and in this episode, I'll begin my three-part discussion of the infamous Trial of Yellow Jacket storyline from Avengers number 211 to 230, where I'm joined by a very special guest, ICC Trombone, who is a longtime member of the Classic Comics Forum and a fellow Avengers fan. I'm really excited about this discussion. I started reading Avengers uh, after this storyline, but it was something where ICC Trombone actually experienced it as it was coming out, so we have very different perspectives. He's also the only person I've ever met who actually considers themselves to be a fan of Hank Pym, which is fantastic. So uh, I'm really excited to get into this. Now, in this first episode, we're going to be discussing issues 211 to 213. We'll talk about uh, Hank Pym's history as an Avenger prior to the storyline, we talk quite a lot about issue 213, one of the most infamous issues in the history of Marvel Comics. Uh, but before we uh, get into that discussion, we do have, uh, as always, I have a list of questions for ICC Trombone about his collecting history. So we'll start off with that, and then we'll jump into the first part of this three-parter about the trial of Yellow Jacket. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy Hey! Hey, how's it going? What's up, man? Avengers Assemble. Yeah, that's right. I've got I've got my pile of comics here somewhere. Man, I took notes, man. <laughs> I don't want to bring collections down here. Let's get let's get to it. What's up? Let's get to it. So I got my list of questions here. I really was excited to have you on because um, reading the threads on the boards, it seems like you often have different tastes and perspective than a lot of the people. Uh, which I appreciate. Usually I have people on, they agree with everything I say, which is... Oh, that's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> hey, look, you know, I mean, I, I'm just like a comic book guy, mostly the big two. I'm learning from all you guys about gold key and romance books. It's not my cup of tea. The other last couple, couple of years I've been buying Westerns. I'm not into it. And I got Army stuff. I'm not into it. It's just, I read it. I say, okay, you know, you know next... I like yeah. the, I like the guys in the underwear, man. You know, and and I like the soap opera attached to it. You know, that's yeah. really what it is. Like the, the Marvel stuff, when they attach the soap opera, they attach the love interest, the thought balloons, where you know somebody's acting like a jerk, but his thought is saying, "Man, why am I doing this?" You know, you know I, that that was just genius because that's how we really are. We do things, and we internally we're we're saying, "Why did I have to say that?" You know, it it, it, it rang true. Yeah. So what was the first comic you ever read? You know, I, I remember my father buying me Superman annual, like a like an annual. I also remember Fantastic Four, like 102 maybe. But it's hard to say because my, my older brother's into comic books too. And there was a time where I had the flu and I was home from school and he brought me, brought me like Fantastic Four, the Jack Kirby ones around the 40s. He brought me like the Avengers around the 30s, you know, so... It's hard to say, but my early memories are Fantastic Four. That's actually the first comic book that was bought for me, 102. My grandmother bought it off a newsstand for me. I wanted, I wanted the annual, the annual, things like the annual with, with the Hulk on the cover, but 
she didn't want to swim for the 25 cents. So so other than the storyline we just read for this podcast what was the most recent comic book you read besides that you know i i i read the whole top 10 alan moore yeah i have it i actually have it and i have you know i'm like you i got all these books you know my attic and all over around the house but now that it's digital i have like uh, i have marvel unlimited and i also have comiXology unlimited and and I, i saw Comicsology had top 10 and I'm like, wow, you know, I mean, it's, it's so simple to just kind of like go screen to screen, you know, you, you end up flying through these comic books, but I just, for this purpose, I read the first few in Marvel Unlimited and then I went to the actual comic books, you know, holding them, opening them up. And I felt that that was more rewarding and a lot more, you get more out of it because yeah. you're actually holding it, you're studying it, you're seeing things, just something on the screen. You know, I don't know. It just doesn't measure up. It's good. You know, it's 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 a time saver and it's a space saver, but I don't think it'll ever measure up for me as far as a real thing, you know. So in terms of like your favorite comic creators, who's a comic creator that you think is sort of underrated? I like to say Mike Aaron. Okay. You know what? Because I tell you, when he started uh, Nexus, right afterwards came up with Badger. In my mind, I said, you know, could this guy be like the next Stan Lee? I mean, these are two big, big deal concepts that he came up with. You know, I mean, I know they were based on other things that you've seen, but just there's an original way that he approached it. Just, I mean, just Nexus, he has to kill somebody or he'll dream about it until he dies. Just imagine that. You know, you're, you're, you're dreaming, having nightmares. So, okay, I have to get the serial killer or else I'll, I'm going to go crazy just dreaming about this. And, and the other one, Badger, just somebody being like, just a nut. <laughs> so he's a straight up nut, you know, and he, and he says it in the beginning. He's, yeah, this guy's crazy, you know, but but he's controlled, and it's an interesting uh, take on all, all that stuff. I just I I know he did a, a lot of Punisher, and he's famous for that in other books. And I just love, absolutely love his Flash run, the the second Flash of Wally West, the first mm-hmm. issues. I reread those like almost every year because he he brought a freshness and and a way of writing that character. That, that no one else did. He made him a guy that likes to like have sex with everybody, and it's just like irresponsible guy. And and it was just again, it rang true. It's like a young guy. What would he be doing? You know, he would be going chasing tail. You know, and it, it was interesting. And, and he was make, he he had a lot of experience, but he was making errors along the way, and just it was engaging the way he uh, you know wrote that book. Too bad he ran out of ideas after the 18th issue or whatever he left. But <laughs> yeah. That's about when I stopped, like, because I, I started reading that Flash run with number one. I hadn't read the Barry Allen series, so I got in with number one, and I stopped buying it right around when he left. I think 19 or 20 was my last issue. It just... I have the whole run. I mean, pretty much the whole run, pretty much the whole run. But, I mean, to me, those are the ones, because, I mean, just just the idea. I mean, it was just, I reread it all the time, and, and I, every time I read it, I, you know, it gets a little better. But anyway... Yeah. <laughs> So who's a, a comic creator you think is overrated? Mm, wow. I look at the guys that are really good and I can't, and I say, you know, they're not overrated. Like people like Alan Moore, no, he's not overrated. To me, Jim Stalin is one of my favorite guys. He's not overrated. That's a tough question. You should have gave me the questions ahead of time. I should have. I should have. I meant to do that. I actually <laughs> forgot to write them down myself until just before you called. I was like, oh, the, the questions. <laughs> you know, I mean... It's hard to say. The new guys now, I don't really follow, so I don't know who's overrated. I know they kill, they kill somebody. Hickman, those guys, they, they kind of like are hard on them. 
but but I, you know, the, the old guys, I mean, they all did their thing. I'm trying to think. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> right. Well, since you don't have an answer, I'll just say John Byrne and we can move on to the next. Yeah, John Byrne. Oh, wow. <laughs> hey, that guy was on top of the world. He was so, a great artist. I just don't like anything he started. Once he, his head got too big in his writing. Anyway, yeah. this isn't about me. This is about what you like. So <laughs> I think Byrne was good. I think Byrne was, again, the top guy. But, you know, I mean, nothing lasts forever. So um, who's your favorite character in comics? Well, I mean, the easy answer is Thor, because <laughs> he's all over the place with, in my in, in my uh, my posts and the the, buy, the recent buys have been buying Thor. But I got to tell you, I do like Hawkeye a lot, at least until he became a member of the Thunderbolts. I thought he was just a great character because he'll he'll tell you off, you know, like you know he'll he'll just. I mean, I like the frankness and the brashness. And he that don't that never li really left him, you know. That's part of his character. Again, the guy that you see nowadays, I don't read that much of it. I see, you know, they made him a womanizer and whatever. I, I like him, and, and you know, of course, Superman, because he does things, you know, because it's the right thing to do. The Boy Scout, but I, you know, I like Boy Scouts. They're okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, Thor. When my first Marvel was Thor, it was during the Walt Simonson run. So, um, I love Thor. Uh, and I love Hawkeye. You're a youngin, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My first issue was either 350 or 351. I'm not sure which, but. Yeah. Um, so who's your least favorite character? Who's a character that you just don't like? You just don't like reading about this character? Well, Deadpool is kind of stupid. You know, all the popular ones are kind of dumb. I'm trying to think of a high profile guy. Oh, yeah, Green Lantern, Hal Jordan. He's so boring. I, I know the Barry Allen that used to be was really boring too. I don't, I read some things with him recently. I mean, again, it's not it's kind of like not the same character. It's like a whole different just invent things and throw it on there. So, I mean, I would say you know, I mean, there's a lot of characters I hate that don't headline their own books, but those kind of uh, jump to mind. You know, a lot of DC characters, unfortunately, were kind of bland. You know, they had interchangeable uh, personalities. So, I, I mean, I did like them during the Neil Adams stuff but it was mostly because of neil adams you know <laughs> yeah if you were stranded on a desert island what comic would you want to bring with you whether it's a, a single story or like a whole run like what's the one comic you would bring with you to a desert island wow that's tough if it was single run there's so many runs that i wouldn't want to part with i'd go with avengers i'd go with the avengers run you know the first 300 let's say so after that it's really not much to say more and I, I do really like Hitman too. That really is a great series. Have you ever read that? No, I'm I'm not a big fan of Ennis. Uh, yeah, it, it's hilarious, man. That that book was just and it, it ends too. I mean, how many books you see, you know, beginning, middle, end? You know, that really doesn't happen. People kept getting reincarnated. I still haven't seen him yet. So, but yeah, that was that's pretty good too. I, I like my Fantastic Four as well. But Avengers, like, I got a soft spot with me, you know, especially stories that, that uh, involve the top, you know, the first five, the original five, you know? Yeah. Every time I, every time they, they put a, an incarnation of them, I always see, see are, the, are the five there, you know? I kind of look and see, oh, yeah, one, two, three, four, five, yeah, you know, makes it a little more special for me. Okay, all right, last question here. If you could have one dream comic, like, you could have a, any character... Uh, or title that's done by any creative team, living or dead. So you get to just pluck them out of time and have them do the book that you want to see. 
what book would you would you sort of create? Man, I like to I like to cheat and just say Alan Moore doing anything <laughs> being drawn by I don't know Jim Stalin or or Neil Adams. Those are, those are, I mean you can't go wrong with them. I, I I don't like when Neil Adams writes his own stuff. You know I, I think a lot of guys fail with that. But you know you combine it with somebody like Alan Moore. I, I kind of never seen Alan Moore miss. You know guy does stuff that's just wow. You know blows your mind. Even if it's a rehash of things, he puts a little twist on it that you go oh wow. You know. I, I I appreciate Alan Moore. I'm not he's not my favorite, but uh, he's very good. Uh, what's your team? What's the comic you would want to put together? Well, so I mean, the comic that I would want to do is um, this character Crime Buster that I'm a big fan of from the '40s. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would want to have uh, that um, written by Ed Brubaker and drawn by Darwin Cook. That's what I would really like. Do you a know, sort of. Like a, that's that's interesting, Crime Buster. I haven't read not one book with, with Crime Buster. I mean, you know, it's it's a fifties book, right? Yeah, I mean, they're they're hit or miss. Uh, I've I've recommended to a couple people, and then they buy like they they like, hey, I got these, and I was like, oh no, those <laughs> those issues are not the good ones. Uh, <laughs> yeah, about a hand, they say, okay, no, read this one, don't read that one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so. Um, I was really interested when you said that Hank Pym was one of your favorite characters, because I've never heard anyone say that. Uh, so I'm just going to set the stage for what was going on before we started this run with the uh, the infamous trial of Yellow Jacket or the fall of Yellow Jacket, however you want to call it, ran from Avengers 211 to 230. And I just reread the whole thing last night, basically. Um, I've read the I've read the storyline probably six or seven times in its entirety before, but I wanted to you know, look at it with a close eye. And I think in, in my opinion, this is maybe the best written Avengers storyline, the writing in here, the character stuff. It's so good. Avengers has a long history where they had a lot of really good writers who had long runs on it. So there's a lot of consistency, you know, over the first 200 issues, there's only six regular writers, but after she 200, there was a little period there for almost a year where, it really started getting uneven for the first time ever. Some of those issues like 205, 206, like we start getting some fill-ins and some weird stuff. And so Jim Shooter, who was editor in chief and had previously written Avengers uh, during the Korvac saga, he decided to take the book over himself. And um, it's interesting. He decided to plan his whole run around Hank Pym. I read some interviews with Jim Shooter. He's got a, a blog that he does, and he posted some stuff about about this storyline where he said that before he did, went into it, he reread all the appearances of the characters, and he decided that, you know, he could sort of see Hank Pym as a guy who has sort of had some self-esteem issues and some mental health issues and was always felt like he didn't live up to things. This was Shooter's take on rereading these old stories his take yeah (laughs) i'll keep holding my tongue until you finish i want to hear what you have to say because um he decided that that was his his viewpoint and i think it's a valid viewpoint but as we'll talk about in a minute i think shooter made one serious error at the beginning of this storyline but he decided he planned this arc where he was gonna tear down hank pym and have him lose everything, including Jan. It was all part of the plan. According to Shooter, it was part of the plan from the beginning, although Jim Shooter is notorious for having uh, telling these stories that nobody else thinks are true. 
But according to Jim Shooter, he he planned this from the start, and then he was going to then build Hank Pym back up, and he was going to emerge as a better hero than ever and sort of have this big redemption arc. And that sort of happened, but I don't think it happened quite the way that Jim Shooter expected it to. I'm really curious to hear your feelings. I guess we, we can wait until we get to 213 in particular, but just to set the this, this stage, I started reading Avengers issue 256. So this was the recent past for me. My first introduction to Hank Pym was in West Coast Avengers number one, the not the limited series, but the regular series. And at that point, we get this overview of um, the stuff that happens in this storyline, because it's really the first time that the readers have seen Hank Pym since the end of this. And so for me... This is just who Hank Pym was because this is literally my introduction is Hank Pym in West Coast Avengers 1 talking about his guilt and shame about this storyline. And so I know a lot of the older readers who were reading had were familiar with the character before this arc. This was like a huge shocking like change of character, but I'd never experienced that because for me this was the character that I was introduced to. So what was it like reading these at the time when we get this this like shakeup here? Wow. You know, it's interesting that you say you started reading him around the West Coast of uh, Avengers because, you know, he was such kind of a loser there. I mean, he he was going to shoot himself. You know, I mean, I was like, come on. You know, I know a lot went down. But I mean, this this is the thing with comic books that you don't own. Like if you're you're a creator, you no one could go and turn Hank Pym into like this loser if you don't want him to. I mean, you're the, you're the writer. You're the one that determines this is what he is and this is what happens to him. Now, Engelhardt comes along or, or Jim Shooter comes along and says, oh, well, all the stuff that he ever did for the first, you know, 40 years of his existence, he was just, he had low self-esteem. And, and I'm sorry, I don't, I don't get that. I don't get that at all. Matter of fact, I was reading some of his, I mean, I read his Ant-Man on. Like the, the beginning way, where, where that throw that throwaway story where on Tales of Stone is twenty seven, where he's just like this nameless, you know, faceless scientist who shrinks down, and then you know, and, and has these adventures, and at the end goes, oh, I'm gonna throw this formula away because you know whatever. I mean, it was a monster book at that point. But it brings back in Tales of Stone is thirty five, with a costume and everything because yeah, they bring him back in thirty five, and he's this costume guy because I guess at that point, Marvel's moving along with costume guys and they want to start their own universe. And he's capable, man. You know, he, he invented all these things. He's fighting crime. The police are going to him. You know, he's kind of a disrespectful character. Now, again, this all happens. You know, he's going along. And then you, the, first cha- the first time you actually see him where he's like not in charge and something, some tragedy is Tales of Astonish 44. That's the one where they, they introduce the storyline that he was married previously. They went to vacation behind the Iron Curtain, as they say, and she was killed. No real reason, but oh, she was killed. You can't leave us, comrade, and whatever. So he's, you know, they never get solved. The woman's missing. They find the body, and then he goes to America, and he's like destroyed. But you know, that's that's some backstory that didn't exist. But anyway, they use that to introduce Jan into the situation. And then, you know, he, she becomes a partner after her father's killed by some creature from another dimension and he helps to solve it. But that, to that point, you know, he, he's this capable guy, man. You know, he's invent, not only did he invent the shrinking, uh, the, the shrinking formula, he, he invents the, like better powers for the, for, for the wasp than he has. 
I mean, she grows wings. She, she has everything, you know, that he doesn't have. But, you know, I mean, he's a capable guy. Now, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm jumping further ahead to the Avengers books. And I was leafing through the, like, one of these essential books. Because, you know, I don't want to pull my books out. I'm leafing through it. And I'm seeing, like, every appearance he had as giant man, not everyone, but just early ones, a giant man. And he's a capable guy, man. You know, he's one of the, he, he's one of the, in other words, of course, Doors powerhouse, Iron Man's a powerhouse. I mean, he's number three, you know, he's there. Like this, this, I, I, I read what Jim Shooter said and he sort of was saying, well, he had low self-esteem because he was compared to the other two and he never measured up. And I'm like, well, that's your interpretation of it. But he was always like, when he can't, ever came into a fight, he was holding his own, and he was tackling ten guys at a time. It wasn't like he was was too exhausted after fighting. That's an interpretation that he chose to throw on the character after the fact. You know, I, I'll buy that. You know, later on when he, when he he has these mental issues as far as mind control and whatever. You know, that's a comic book thing. You know, where you you have your mind control and you're okay the next issue or whatever. But but you know, okay, you could say tampering with his mind that began to, you know, that that did something. I, I'll go with that. But as far as low self-esteem, I don't see it. Matter of fact, I was look, look again, I was looking through the essential and I and I there's one story called This Hostage Earth. This hostage earth. And and at the beginning of the story is that he he gets alerted by ants that there's something happening on the earth. Like they they're scattering around and they contact him. And he calls the adventures to meet in a meeting, emergency meeting and they're like what happened? What happened? And he's like, yeah. These ants told me there's something happening. And, and Iron Man goes, come on, everybody's a comedian. Like, come on, what, 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 what did you really call us for? And he says, look, I'm not kidding. The ants told, told me that there's something happening in the middle of the earth and we have to respond. And Thor like, gets so pissed off. He goes, you have the temerity to, to bring us here about some ants? He goes, I don't know whether to be mad or, or to laugh. And, 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 and he kind of gets them pissed off to the point where Pim says, you know what? You guys could take off, man. I, I was doing okay without before you guys showed up, and I could do okay without you. Everybody, get out of here. And he throws them out, and then he tackles the situation himself. And, and then later on, of course, when he can't beat the mole man by himself, the Avengers look at it and go, oh, my God, he was right. And they all like, they all like feel guilt-ridden, and they go help him, whatever, and, and everything's solved. But the idea that he could tell Thor and Iron Man, I was doing okay without you, and you could hit, hit the road, that, that, that's not low self-esteem to me. Yeah, you know. Uh, so, but you know, I mean, look, every rider comes along. There's a fork in the road. You could take it to the right, or you could take it to the left. You know, I mean, to, to deconstruct these characters, you know, that's where the drama is anyway. You know, you yeah. give somebody a problem, and now, well, now what do they do? Take everything away from them. Now what? You know. So that's yeah. where the drama is anyway. Well, I mean, sure, but it hurt sure. me because I loved them, you know, and I'm I, this is one of my favorite characters, and you're making them like, and one, you know, like he made a mistake. That led to the court martial. It wasn't like it was yeah. malicious about it. Well, let's go over those issues here for okay. those who listening who don't know yet what we're talking about. I'll just go over 211 real quick. There's a couple things in 211 that I think are interesting. The shooter's first issue is writer, and he does it as a sort of a classic Avengers uh, time for a new lineup because every once in a while they'll have the, the old order changeth and. In I this issue, movie. yeah, I, I love it too. Um, it's As a matter of fact, this was my favorite one of all of them. All of the order changes ones, this is the one. Yeah, I like it quite a bit too. And basically what happens is um, every superhero in the tri-state area shows up at Avengers Mansion to try out. And the Avengers are like, why are you all here? And then it turns out that Moondragon has been 
mentally controlling everyone because she says that she thinks the Avengers need a new lineup. And so uh, she's sent all these people there to try out. And what ends up happening is Shooter dumps all of these Avengers that have been in the book for years and years and for like 15 years in some cases. Vision, the Scarlet Witch, uh, Beast, Wonder Man had all been in the book for years, all just chucked out the window. And what he does is he brings back basically the original team. I love it. Without uh, the so Hulk, funny. which is fine with me because I don't really consider the Hulk to be Avenger. Um, yeah. So we've got the original team of Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, Wasp, and Hank Pym in his Yellow Jacket identity. And then he adds in Tigra, which which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, and that's which basically the issue. I hated her. Anyway, go ahead. Or maybe I was supposed <laughs> to hate her anyway. Well, uh, you know, I see. I think I think we were. Um, Shooter said in the letter column at the time that the point of putting Tiger in the book was to show that not everybody is cut out to be an Avenger. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I appreciate that as a writer. Like it's um, it's a thing we're going to see him do this a lot in the story, where a writer has this thing where you create characters or situations that are basically mirrors of the main character so you can see them from different angles. And in this sense, Tigra not being cut out to be an Avenger is sort of a mirror of what Hank Pym is experiencing. It's from a different perspective. But the other thing, way that they mirror each other sort of unintentionally, I think, is that Tigra, in this few issues she's in, she acts like this flirty, flighty, sort of brainless, like, idiot Who's basically yep. like he treats her like she's half human and half like a uh, kitty cat. In all of her previous appearances, she was like half tiger, and so she was much more fierce and independent. If you read the character of Greer Nelson in the Cat Number One, her first appearance, mm-hmm. and then compare that character to the way Shooter writes Tiger in here, it's not even close to the same character. He basically chucks out all of her established character traits because he has a plot that he wants to put her into. And um, I think he does kind of the same thing in a way with Hank Pym as well. Well, as far as Tigra, yeah, I don't know anything about the character. I know that the way she was written, the flirty stuff, I, I didn't have a problem with that, but I did have a problem with a person just walking in and kind of t- telling, telling, oh yeah, you know, this Hank Pym's a loser. Why are you with him and this and that? So I'm like, you know, you haven't, you, you know, you can't even like unbuckle with bootstraps to what he's done in his whole career. You know, kind of makes me think about you. You said you, you only know him from, from West Coast Avengers on. I'm like, but you don't know all the stuff and the, the, the heroic stuff he did all to that point. That's what makes his fall and this, this stripping of everything like terrible. Because this guy was really like one of the top heroes in the Avengers and, and throughout the history. So for him to take everything taken away, it was kind of like it hurt. You know, and, and as a matter of fact, Jim Shooter said he got a lot of hate mail as far as, oh, how could you do this, this, and that? And he got a little worried. He said he went to Stan Lee, and Stan Lee was like, that's great. That's the best. I mean, people care about the Karens, and they're following it. As a matter of fact, they did get a sales bump because of all this, you know. I those comments, too, and, and uh, he, what's interesting is when we get to the issue where they actually publish the letters about 213, which we haven't yet talked about, but, but the issue with the court-martial, all the letters they published were resoundingly positive, talking about how great the issue was. And I was reading that letter column going, what? I know that's not <laughs> what people actually thought. They clearly just didn't publish any of the bad letters. I mean, they control what you're going to read, uh, ultimately, you know. 
But just before we get off to 11, I want to say a couple of things about that issue that maybe yeah. it was just the best recruitment issue. And also Gene Colin did a nice job. Too bad Gene Colin, you know, she didn't, she didn't like him. You know, he got didn't get along with Gene Colin for whatever reason, you know. But but I, I thought, I mean, Shooter's opinion was that he was phoning it in at that point and he wasn't really trying. And I'm like, oh, maybe it was just a conflict thing. Look, I'm a big Shooter fan, but I also know that, you know, it's your, your opinion, you know, your, your your interpretation. But Colin did a nice job in that book. And I just wanted to point out a couple of things that I really enjoyed. That I, I like the idea that, um, you know, all these guys are coming in that, that being made to fight, which is a, a, a Marvel thing. You know, Kira will show up, oh, let's fight, you know. But this is had actually had a reason. She was pushing them to, you know, to like audition so they could see what they could do. And Hawkeye is one of the people brought in. And I, I love the line he gives. She goes, when she's finally discovered, she says, uh, you know, yeah, well, you could leave because I don't think, uh, you know, your, your, your time is, is right for you to be here now. And he goes, hey, if you're so hot, how come you had to bring me all the way over here now to discover that? You could have just left me where I was. I was just like, yeah. that's Hawkeye, you know? I love him. And there's another part of the issue which, which, which uh, starts something where Hercules, you know, they, they're all talking. And, and, and at one point, uh, you know, Her uh, Wonder Man says something, I think about Tiger, and he, he says, Hercules is like, what are you talking about? She did a lot more than you did. What, you know, what's your power? I just said you st standing around. And, and he says, well, I, you know, he says, well, I'm, you know, I have the power, like, sort of like Thor, you know. And he says, you do? And he says, then I'm going to give you a gift. And he punches him and starts <laughs> fighting with the guy. And that, the gift, was something used by Bob Layton later on in the Hercules miniseries. You know, he's like his fighting a, a guy is his way of giving him a gift. Yeah, so I, I like the way that, that came out of there. But it, the, the issue was great, and like you, you alluded to something earlier that there's a throwaway line he says at the end there. Hank Pym he says, "Well, my my lab work wasn't going anywhere anyway. Yeah, so I might as well join the Avengers." So you can see there's something happening there. You know, that's that's like yeah. a a foreshadowing of stuff because he's kind of quiet in that whole issue. I mean, you know, I think he's the one that figures out Moondragon might be behind it and then she freezes his mind or whatever. But yeah. I just love seeing the five there assembled. I was like, hey, this is great. I mean, I remember there was a point there that that uh, I think Stan Lee, early in the Avengers run, didn't want the big three in the book. He says, because they messed up continuity in their own books. And Roy yeah. Thomas would always try to sneak them in, the big three. To be in the Avengers book, but if you notice from a certain point on, they're never there. It's always Vision, Black Panther, or whoever. And they, they, they try to keep the people that they don't have their own titles, you know, separate. And, you know, just to see these guys all in the same book, it was wonderful. And, you know, it, it, throughout this whole run from 211 to 220, 230, Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man are there the whole, whole pretty much the whole time. I mean, Iron Man bows at the, at the end for another reason we'll talk about later. But the point is, you know, I like the idea that he kept them there, you know? Yeah, I agree. They're a big draw to the book. Yeah. A couple of things real quick. One thing that's interesting about this, because we're going to see this as a recurring sort of uh, theme throughout the storyline, is Moondragon is mentally manipulating everybody. We're going to see her come back in several issues and do this again. And... It's not just her. We get Egghead does this a few times. People throughout this storyline are being mind controlled and mentally manipulated to the point where there's some discussion among the, the team members and several issues about 
whether any of them actually have control over their own thoughts and actions or whether they can even know if they ever have control over thoughts and actions. And no, I think he's, he's planting that right here. Pretty awesome. Uh, you know, uh, uh, that he had to throw that in because then you're saying, well, we can't trust anything. Can we trust anything we've been doing? We don't know, you know, but I mean, yeah. I, I don't think they find any evidence of it, but it just makes you kind of paranoid. You're like, well, you know, what really was, is this all Moon's Dragons doing from the beginning? We don't know. Yeah. It is, it is an interesting thing that does come back. You're right. And the other thing, the Gene Colon doing this issue and then leaving is going to be, I think, important when we get to 213, I have a bunch of things to say about 213, but actually I want to talk about 212 first. Cause of course it sets up 213, but I've read 212 again, a half a dozen times at least. But when I read it this time, you know, looking at it critically as part of this run, it was, I thought it was much more interesting and more important than I had realized. Uh, so just to give the plot for the people that haven't read it, basically, um, there's this woman who's called Elf Queen in the story, and she's got this guy who's basically like Conan, and they're lovers, and she's cast a spell so that they're in this idyllic like little valley, separated from the rest of the world, and they've been living there for 10,000 years in peace and harmony. And in this story, he um, is feeling very restless, and he's kind of tired of this. He wants to go back to civilization. So against her wishes, he sort of drags her back to civilization, and there's complete culture shock, as you might expect. There's a bunch of uh, misunderstandings happen and he ends up getting in fights and she's trying to defuse things. And so she at one point has to save him and he gets angry and he hits her and she leaves. And then he becomes sort of despondent. He gets in this fight and the, the police accidentally kill him. And when I was reading this, I realized everything that happens with those characters is a foreshadowing of the same plot that's about to happen with Hank Pym and Jan. It's all the same, mentally, the same reasons. Like, he's he feels emasculated because she's more powerful and she saves him. And so he ends up hitting her. Everything that they do in here, we see in the next issue with Hank and Jan. And I never noticed that until I read this last night. Yeah, when you read it a couple of times, it kind of jumps out at you. Even even the point where he smacks her. Like, there's a point where he, I think he beat, hits her or something like yeah. that. And she 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 leaves angry and you know stay here if you want whatever you know but you know yeah there is a lot there's a lot coming there and you know I mean I got some things to say about that issue too but yeah the other thing I want to say though is like we, as you mentioned there's one line in two eleven where Hank's like well my research wasn't going very well but Hank only gets like two sentences in the in issue two eleven so when we get to two twelve here we jump straight into all of a sudden Hank, who has barely been seen in comics for a couple years, real time. Last time we saw him, he was like, yep, I'm having fun in my laboratory. You do your thing, Jan, and I'll just do here. And now when we see him here, he's just like this raging asshole right from the first page. Yeah. And um, this is where I think Shooter made, I, I think this is a great storyline with some great writing, but I think his big mistake was there wasn't nearly enough setup because we didn't see Hank in those years struggling his laboratory. We don't have any context. All we know is he's always been cool. And then all of a sudden he's a total asshole. And yeah. I think it's really jarring. If he had spent like six issues 
where we see Hank slowly turn into an asshole as he's struggling instead of having it happen in like three pages. I think everything that happened afterwards would have been much easier to understand. Um, it's just, it's, it's really jarring. Now I've reread, of course I've read all the Avengers issues. Now I did, I hadn't at the time, you know, mm-hmm. when I first encountered this, this is one of the first back issue stories I read. So I still didn't actually have had read any of his real appearances. But now that I've read all of the you know previous issues of Avengers, it's really jarring how he goes from just like last time we see him a couple years ago, he's like, Jan, you enjoy your superheroing. I'm gonna just go into my laboratory. And now he's just like, ah Yeah, you know, th- that see, that's what got me. Cause I, you know, you said you went back and read them, but I read them as they were coming out. And this guy was to me, he was one of the top five. He was right there with the original Avengers. He he didn't have to bother anybody. Of course, Thor and I remember the big shots. But he, you know, he was integral also to to what was happening, and he was capable. Again, he would, you know, he could handle things himself. He was like, I've been doing it by myself before. So now, all of a sudden, he's this guy that he can't do anything right, and he's mad at the world, and he's mad at her. He resents her. It was you're right. It was jarring, and it, and it was. I mean, if you if he wanted to throw away, throw in that, okay, he's having a mental breakdown or whatever. I, I don't know. It, it, it is does come come on kind of sudden, you know. But you know, but then again, there was something happening, and he's shooter trying to say, well, this is always happening. We were just weren't watching it, you know. He was always in the lab, flipping out and breaking things and whatever, and we just yeah. didn't see it. This is you know, I mean that that's what they they allude to in the in the the following issues that there was yeah. stuff stuff happening there, but it just kind of came out in the wrong way, and I guess the more Jan tried to uh, comfort him, the more he, he got angry, you know? Yeah. So yeah. at the end of this issue, he's trying to prove himself. His weapons are short-circuiting and Captain America basically diffuses the situation. And then Hank's trying to play hero and he shoots the elf queen in the back and uh, almost kills her. And then she almost kills everybody. And so at the end, he looks like a complete jerk. That's where the story ends. Um, what What did you think? I know you said you had some more things to say about this one. Well, you know, this is this is a problem. Uh, you know, I'm looking. At, I, I my notes. I put down the artists and and all the people that were involved in here. This issue was drawn by Alan Cooperberg. I I don't really know him from anything. I, I think I, I've seen him do filling issues, or whatever. And this is not a guy that should have been. They should have put a better artist so you could see the facial expressions because they had some scenes. They had some uh, some panels where. Well, Hank Penn just looks maniacal. I mean, he has this twisted look on his face. I'm like, hey, you know, he's having his problems, but he's not this evil guy. And you're and you're showing him like an evil guy, and just it was crazy. Like, you know, again, there's a point in that book where, like, I think you said Wasp, Wasp saves him, and he's mad that she saved him. Like, how could you? How come it had to be you? I'm like, this is crazy. You know, this is kind of like she just saved you. What are you talking about? You know, it just. I guess they're trying to show the breakdown and his resentment, but yeah, like you said, it's jarring, and the artwork didn't wasn't really, I, I I thought wasn't professional caliber. It was kind of you know, which I'm gonna make a comment about in the following issues. Which yeah, I have a whole bunch to say about the art because <laughs> sure, it's, sure. I think it's it's really important for next issue. So let's let's. I feel like we're gonna be talking about this issue for this issue for a while. Two thirteen, one of the most infamous comics that Marvel ever published. Yep, and. Uh, I'm just going to set the stage again for people who haven't read it. Basically what happens is Captain America decides to bring Yellow Jacket up for an official Avengers court martial based on what Yellow Jacket did in the last issue. And 
Yellow Jacket just goes completely off the deep end, and Hank he he comes up with this like insane plan where he builds this giant adamantium robot, and the idea is during if if the court martial goes badly, which of course it does because he's you know acting like a, a total it's, asshole. It goes badly because it's his entire fault that it goes badly. Yes, but you know. But he, he builds this robot and he's like, uh, the robots, I'm going to summon the robot and it'll trash the Avengers and then I'll save them because I've put this fail safe in on the robot and then it'll make me look like the hero and everything will be saved. And Jan finds out about this partway through and she tries to talk him out of it and he just belts her in the face and knocks her across the room with this like right cross. And then, uh, so they go to the thing, the hearing goes badly and uh, the Avengers find out that he hit Jan because she's got a giant black eye. And he summons the robot, but he can't actually deactivate it because he gets clobbered before he has a chance to. Luckily, the Wasp knows where the off switch is and she stops the robot and he's left in disgrace. And it's again, it's one of the most infamous comics Marvel's ever published. It's the issue that is forever branded Hank as the wife beater. And uh, there's just so much to talk about here. But before I get into my pages and pages and pages of notes on this, <laughs> I just wanted to ask what what you think of it and what you thought of it at the time. Well, okay, this is this is. I mean, I read a couple of interviews, one from Shooter and one from Bob Hall. Jim yes. Shooter said, "There's again." I read the blog that you that you uh, alluded to, and he did say, you know, the article. The, the, the name of the article was "Hank is not a white beater," right? His his take is that he originally didn't she he wasn't supposed to hit her like that she was supposed to be around him he was supposed to get up suddenly and his suddenly getting up pushes her back and she hits the face or whatever now somewhere between that and 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 the instructions to Bob Hall something other happened Bob Hall it wasn't a right cross it was a backhand but so she you know he hits her backhand whatever and Bob Hall says, look, and, and, and I appreciate his honesty. He says, look, man, I was pr- pretty much a fan, of, of like a, not even a professional at the time. I was, could barely hold the pencil and, you know, I didn't know what to do with the scar, so I just put that in there and that was it. He says, you know, maybe I, I, I messed up by putting that, but, you know, and, and I'm like, well, that was major, except that I, I don't know, I, I don't know if it, like you said, sometimes Shooter says things and you don't know if it's true, but he, you know, I don't know how I mean, that panel could be redrawn. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, something else could happen. Plus, I mean, I, I, the dialogue later on shows that he hit her. So I don't know if he just wrote the dialogue to fit the picture that was already there or what. Shooter did write the dialogue to fit the artwork, and he uses that as an excuse for this happening because he said that because he was so busy as the editor-in-chief, he didn't have he had to work the classic Marvel method where he'd just give them the plot and they would give him all the completed artwork, and then he'd put the dialogue on it. And he said by the time he got this issue, it was so late that they didn't have time to redraw it, and they had to go to publisher. Just He had to just work with what was on the page. Now, I find this to be a terrible excuse, because if he really thought that there was a, a real problem with the way this was drawn, given the sensitivity of the subject matter, I think he had, would be obligated to just put it off for one week and if they lose five thousand dollars or whatever the cost was for delaying the printing, then they lose the money. But 
I think it's really weak for him to to sort of blame to say, well, we couldn't change it. They could have changed it. He's the editor in chief. He could have done whatever he wanted. I w- I'm wondering if I mean, look, he's he's the big shot editor in chief. They got artists walking around all over the place. All he had to do is pull somebody in. Okay, we draw this panel, and pull somebody else in. Okay, ink that panel. Okay, oh, we're done. Let's let's go. Yeah. He claims that Bill Sienkiewicz came into his office when he saw the published issue and yelled at him for not allowing Bill to redraw the panel. Um, but here's the thing that I think is like... Um, I heard, I'm sorry, I heard that too. What what, what was that about? What, Sienkiewicz was a domestic violence uh, survivor or something? I don't know. Um, Shooter paints it that Sienkiewicz could tell from the script from reading it somehow that Bob Hall had drawn it incorrectly and that Sienkiewicz realized that he could have drawn it correctly. But for me, I think the big what if here doesn't have anything to do with Bill Sienkiewicz. It has to do with Gene Colan because Bob Hall's whole thing is that he's a new artist. He's not skilled enough. He said that he redrew that panel several times and just couldn't get the nuance that he needed. So he had to go like full action. And to me, um, it's a big what if is what if Jim Shooter hadn't gotten in such a big feud with Gene Colan that Colan quit Marvel completely after Avengers 211. Because if you have Gene Colan drawing this issue, that's a guy who nuances his whole art style. And he could have, if Shooter actually intended this to be drawn differently, Gene Colan could have drawn this as subtly as anybody in comics could have done. Top pro, Gene Colan, for sure. I mean, yeah. I, I, everything I read is that he hated, he didn't like Gene Colan. And, he, and even his wife, and it, there's horror stories that, that he would keep asking Gene Colan to redraw things. And the whole page is, this is no good, do it again. And, and, and there was a point where I think Gene Colan's wife said that, well, you know, he asked us to redraw it. We didn't redraw it. We submitted the same thing. And he said it was okay. So yes, I've heard that story too. Around with him. I, I, I don't know why, but you know, hey, look, this is the real world we live in. Sometimes you don't like somebody and you take it on them because you have power over them. I don't know. So I think like this this shows like one of the big problems with the Marvel method of writing, um, which is that it allows things like this to happen. It's interesting to think about what Shooter would have written in future issues if this hadn't have happened the way it happened. Because I think the way that this ends up taking place where it's such a violent act, an intentional violent act, that he was required in the later issues to treat it very seriously in a way that maybe he wouldn't have had to do otherwise. To me, it reminds me of what happened with the um, the death of Jean Grey, where they had put some stuff, the artist had drawn in her blowing up this planet that wasn't in the script and then when Jim Shooter saw it he said there has to be ramifications you have to kill her off because we can't have someone committing genocide I feel like this is the same thing he gets the artwork in and all of a sudden he's like oh crap I've got to write this in a certain way from this point forward because we put this in here it has to be treated as seriously as we showed it to be well you know I that's that could be because there's several instances in that issue of kind of like abuse that before he smacks her before he backhands her she comms in the lab as wasp size and he sees that she's there and he tries to stomp her with his hand with his hand he tries to smash her with his hand and misses so that's one and later on when he smacks her and she goes oh this is crazy plan whatever she's on the floor he goes well you better go along or else 
So I'm like, yikes. Yeah. It's not just one isolated thing. He's going to beat her up if she doesn't go along with this. Well, she kind of does. I mean, you know, I, I get you in a tough spot. You know, she, she goes to that meeting with dark glasses on and she says, this is crazy, you know. But, you know, I mean, so, I, I, yeah, I guess he wrote the dialogue the way it is. But again, maybe to start, you know, I, I'm just wondering, you take out the hitting part. So what really happens? She doesn't get divorced. You know, there's other things that don't happen. So I, I don't I don't know if I buy that. But, you know. It, it's the way it developed, so that's what I made agree. I I don't entirely buy Shooter's claim that he didn't intend it to be like this because he says in that same blog post that he intended Jan to leave him. That was the original plan: is that he was that they were gonna like separate at least. So for him to say that he he didn't intend this, it's the entire reason in the in the story that was published that she left him. So uh, I I. Part of me thinks that Shooter is doing one of his revisionist history things. the point. Why, why else would she leave him? She wouldn't leave him if he got arrested. That's her husband. She's going she's gonna to stick with him. So she, he had to do something that in her mind was unforgivable. You know, and it can't be that he's going crazy because she's helped him, you know, through some of his mental issues before. So I, maybe, maybe he's fibbing a little bit there. <laughs> yeah. not, not, not hitting. But, man, you know, he could have just said, yeah, I wanted him to hit her and that, that's it. Why, why do you have to lie about it? You know? So it's, it's obviously we're going to talk about the rest of the arc, but um, one thing that's interesting here is Shooter says that the whole plan was to tear down Hank Pym and then rebuild him up as this big hero. And when you read this storyline, he does have the redemption arc, but the character has really never recovered in some ways from this issue. And I think it's more because he gets this reputation in comic fandom as a domestic abuser most of those people have never read the storyline, so they don't read how it actually plays out. They don't read the redemption arc. They haven't read his later stories in West Coast Avengers. And so I know Tom Brevoort, the editor, current editor of Avengers, has said that he's tried over as many years of Avengers. They've had several writers that have tried to do these stories where they rehabilitate Hank as a character, and the fans just won't basically they won't accept it because he has such a bad reputation as a result of this issue. And uh, so I find it interesting on several levels. First of all, that Shooter was trying to, according to him, he had a plan to sort of make Hank into a, like a bigger, better hero than ever before. And that completely backfired if that was his plan. Um, but also um, it's interesting to think about the popularity of the character sort of dictating the stories we see that a lot with characters like Wolverine. Um, but in this instance, we've seen other characters at Marvel that have been involved in domestic abuse. There's an infamous issue and I don't even know what issue it was because I forgot to look it up, but there's an issue where Peter Parker as Spider-Man loses his temper and hits Mary Jane in the face. And yet Spider-Man's popular. So everyone just is like, let's just forget that ever happened. But Hank Pym is not nearly as popular. And so he's like permanently uh, labeled as a domestic abuser and which I think is fair to a degree, but it's just an interesting how the fans treat, they'll overlook things if they like the character and they won't overlook it if they don't like it. Yeah. I, I heard it. Yeah. I've heard it uh, compared a lot to the Spider-Man thing. I saw it. He said it, they, he punches her like a, with a close fist, you know, the right cross, as you say, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know why, I mean, it could be because Hank is not, top tier character maybe that's why I, yeah it did damage the character I, I, I don't really like what what happened afterwards either they, 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 it, it seems like even to this day 
They don't really know what to do with them. I, I know that, uh, what's his name? The guy that, uh, Disaster City, the writer? Kurt Busiek? Yeah. He, he tried to fix him, you know, when he did his run with Perez. In fact, he put him, he made him back into uh, Giant Man or Goliath. And he was, you know, a big shot hero there too. And they even had an annual that tried to uh, psychoanalyze the whole thing, you know, and, and, you know, but I mean, it just didn't work. You know, like you said, somebody, somebody always go back to it, you know? So, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, he did this before. You can't, you can't erase it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I've got some more comments about that storyline, but I'm going to save that for the very end. Um, <laughs> one last thing about this, just in terms of shooters plan to sort of, do all this character work with Hank to sort of build him back up again, that does sort of happen, but what actually ends up happening, that's a much more successful and kind of problematic for me in a way is that as an immediate result of this in the next issues, we're going to see a whole bunch of really interesting character development with Jan. And I think Jan actually had never really been taken seriously as a character until this. And then we see in the next few issues, we're going to talk about this in just a second, where she becomes the leader of the Avengers. She builds this whole life. She gains this sort of new, I don't want to say confidence, but um, she becomes an independent person and sort of becomes a more important character than Hank. But what if you look at her character history, most writers just treat her as like, she's the flirty, you know, rich heiress airhead. She's like Kim Kardashian, but with, with superpowers. And then, but as a result of this, she's treated much more seriously after this point by future writers. And so the thing that I, that bothers me a little bit about that is that she should have been able to have all of that development without needing to have this domestic abuse story sort of kickstart it. You know, uh, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Maybe I'm just like. I, I, I just think that the era of the eighties is when women began to be less than hostages, you know? So I, I, I could see, I mean, she kind of like forced them <laughs> into making her the chairman because she's like, I nominate myself. And they're like, what? They're like caught by surprise. It's like, yeah. You're going to, you're going to second it. Yeah. I just, it kind of forces them, but yeah. she grows into it. And they're a pretty good leader. You know, and matter of fact, she is thought of as one of the better leaders. Avengers ever had Captain America, her, you know, I think it's a few other people that have been in charge, but she's the one to keep going back to. So she is good there. I, I don't know if it had to do with the with the, the domestic stuff, but it just seemed that there came a point with, with him and also Claremont was doing that in the uh, X-Men books where he's making women a little more, you know, not the background characters anymore. You know, so I, I didn't really see that as an offshoot, but it was interesting in this sense that now she's doing that to overcome and be busy. So she has to think about the tragedy of a marriage. I mean, she was married to this guy and loved him. It wasn't make-believe. And, and anytime there's a divorce or something happens of that nature, you know, you want to you move on and cover it and, not, and deny it and not, you know, you don't want to face it. You know what I mean? So her taking that job was her way of, of, of uh, push, pushing her feelings down. And you see that in issues that follow, where she, there's a version where she's ready to cry, you know, and, and, and she says, I'm not going to do it. You know, I'm going to hold myself together and whatever. So, because this is a, you know, a terrible event, you know, not, not just that, but what happens afterwards, you know, next couple yeah. of, you know, so I, I can see somebody keeping busy. I mean, that, that rings true.
that's it for this episode of the Classic Comics Forum podcast. As always, I'd like to thank my guest, ICC Trombone, for joining us. Next time around, we'll have part two of our discussion where we'll start getting into some of the nitty-gritty, some of the classic story elements, a great two-parter drawn by Alan Weiss. Uh, and we'll also start talking about the revolving door of artists that uh, helps not exactly sync this storyline, but it definitely keeps it from living up to quite its full potential. All of that next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can join us online at theclassiccomics.org to discuss these issues with us on the forums. So come visit us there and we'll see you next time. <laughs>